Trinity Baptist Church. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city, at the entrance, she cries aloud. To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, instruct your minds. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say to you. I open my lips to speak what is right. Thanks, Christy. There we go. <laughs> I got an email this morning from Christy's husband. If you're, if you're reading along in your bulletin, it says John Harrison for the, for the scripture there. John sends me an email at 2.45 this morning saying, Beth, I got a job. If y'all know John Harrison, he's about this tall, beautiful, blonde man. Yeah? I got a job doing Porgy and Bess. John is not a singer. In Mexico City. Christy's going to do scripture for me this morning. And I said, you know what, John? That is either the, a funny joke, and I caught you, or the best excuse anyone has ever given me for not coming in. So um, pray for John. He's in Mexico City. Pray for Christy. She's here with two boys all by herself. So I told you before, my name is Beth Markham, and I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. Keith set up a lovely trilogy of the last three weeks. Three weeks ago, he preached on teachability, which I kept saying wasn't really a word, right? But teachability. So that was a little bit of a difficult sermon. And then last week, he teached on conflict, and that was fun too. And then he picked up all the elders and ran off to Western Pennsylvania and left me here to preach on confession. <laughs> Happy summer to you. <laughs> Y'all got to bust his chops for me when he gets back, okay? Um, I want to read you just a little story time. A few years ago, when my nephew was not quite four years old, he tore up a book that he had checked out of the library. I cannot tell you the extent of the damage, but the infraction was great enough that he was required by his parents to return it and apologize. His mother took him to the library, and the kind and gentle librarian asked, Grant, is there something you need to tell me? Unable to get out of response, he simply shook his head no. She went off to do some librarian things and then returned and asked again, Grant, do you want to tell me something? Again, he only shook his head. This went on for quite some time, and finally he was able to blurt out, I'm sorry I tore up your book. My sister-in-law paid the fine, and they went home. I can't be certain what was going on in his little mind, but I have a hunch. I don't think he knew that he was already forgiven. The story is, um, Danielle Franklin was one of my grad school professors. She taught a class on biblical worship in her book, His Story, Our Response. It's a great book to read if you want to learn about what the Bible says about worship. Um, and worship is a lot more than just what we do in here. I think we all know that, that no matter how close 
to God we feel and how much we experience in this place if we don't carry it with us out into the world and our relationships with others out there, then it's really not anything. Um, Monday, or inside and out of here, we're gonna be wired for worship. And um, I believe that worship is the telling and reenacting of God's story. She said, our sermon series is based on Proverbs this summer, and Keith tossed me confession to preach on. And much like the boy in the story, my first reaction was hesitation. Because I think that a lot of us, you know, we may not feel so comfortable with the guilt portion of confession. Um, And so we're not able to grasp the reality of living day to day in forgiveness. And there's other of us who we totally get the forgiveness portion of it. And so we kind of look at confession maybe as a step backward. And maybe it's unnecessary because we're already redeemed. But see, I'm convinced that the word of wisdom, confession, this is pivotal to a life of worship not just in the form of a one-time confession of faith. So you guys know I'm the director of worship, so I can't help but read this word confession from both a lifestyle and a liturgical angle. Um, Because as much as I think we do understand this connection of confession to repentance, I think it would be remiss if we didn't point out that confession is also what we've been doing for the last half an hour. Amen? Romans 10. 9 through 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are healed. When we worship together, we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, that he rose from the dead, and that we gratefully are redeemed. We remind our souls what is real as a response to his reality, and we do it out loud. That's worship. Oh, but Beth, you're going to say, this series is about Proverbs, not about Romans. And so to that, I'm going to say, let's check out what happens later in Proverbs in this chapter that Christy came and read for us. Christy read from Proverbs 8. And I'm going to jump down to Proverbs 8, 12 through 12 to 21. Because here God, who is personified as wisdom, sings a song, listing off his attributes and his desires for us. And then in verse 22, we find us a big old hymn, all about Jesus at creation in Proverbs. In verse 27, he, re- he writes, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, and when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the foundations of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was the craftsman at his side. Story of God, worship in Proverbs. That's awesome. I guess you could say, well, if it's good enough for the king of the universe, then there's got to be something in there for me too, right? That's why we come together. That's why we worship. But I wonder, do we confess God as God in our everyday lives out loud to ourselves as well as to others? 
I want you to hold that thought because I'm going to loop back to it. Because I'm pretty sure that when Keith selected this word for us to dissect, he actually wanted us to look at the very uncomfortable part of confession of sin, which, by the way, is also part of worship. If we flip back one more to chapter 6, one chapter back to 6. My son, if you've put up security for your neighbor, if you've struck hands and pledge for another, if you've been trapped by what you said and snared by the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, to free yourself since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go and humble yourself. Press your plea with your neighbor. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. So confession is about humility. It's about recognizing that God is God and we are not. And as we said, we do it in worship, we do. But we also need to recognize that we do it in how we relate to the rest of the world. Proverbs 28, 13 tells us that he who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them receives mercy. A confession is not a new concept to Solomon, right? We can see that the very act of the sacrificial atonement for sin is laid out in the Old Testament to the patriarchs um, through the sacrifice offerings and forgiveness by the priests. But as Christians, we know that Christ has already paid that price for our sin, don't we? Yes? So why do we bother confessing? Why do we bother confessing if God is an all-knowing God and he already knows? He knows my sin, so why do I have to remind him? It's already been forgiven. So it kind of makes sense to just swallow hard and press forward, not to do it again. Well, I want to submit to you today that confession has far more to do with the nature of sin than with the nature of forgiveness. David talks about the fallout of his sin in Psalm 32. He writes, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now I know that that sounds really churchy. See, sin is darkness. And if it's left in the dark, it's going to fester and grow, but it can't live in the light. That's impossible. The Apostle John wrote, God is light And in him there is no darkness at all. We claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness. We lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, 
we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus, the Son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So here's the deal, you guys. It's all well and good, right? We know that this is what the Bible says. And the truth is that probably the type of sins that we deal with on a day-to-day basis have a little bit more impact than a four-year-old's ripped-up library book. Um, I get that. And in fact, um, that's what I thought too about 15 years ago when another pastor preached on confession and on this this piece of John. Um, Some of you guys know my story and um, many of you lived it with me. And uh, if I get emotional during this part of the message, it's because I'm just still so overwhelmed with the love of Jesus and the ability of this body of Christ to be his hands and feet in a way that 15 years ago, I did not understand. Um, I'm going to cling to my iPad so that I don't wander. Um, If you don't know my story, you need to know that it's not a secret. Um, Probably 15 years ago, everybody knew this. (laughs) Uh, It's a story of redemption. And it's a story of what happens when you do the God thing, no matter how naive or crazy the world tells you it is. It breaks the chain of sin and it releases you to be who God made you to be. Are you ready? Roy and I moved to New York in 1997 as actors. Now see, I believed that God created me to be a famous Broadway star and that I would glorify God in my fame. Um, Unfortunately, pretty quickly, I started to look a lot more like the theater community and like the world than God. And if you spend any time in the entertainment industry, you know that I'm not being ugly when I say that actors are sort of primed to be narcissistically self-aware. You know, we're taught that our bodies and our emotions are our instruments. Um, they're part of our toolkit as artists. Everything we experience, everything we do, we use to be real artists. And that is true. So I really believed I needed to feel and experience everything I could in the name of being this great artist. And the truth is, that very early in my marriage, when I was far from God, I made some mistakes on tour that I was not fully open and honest with to my husband about. And the world told me to keep quiet. The world told me that it would be cruel to hurt him in order to clear my conscience. And so I kept quiet. Five years later, Mel Cure, who was our associate pastor, stood right here and preached on this this verse in John. And for about five minutes, I considered coming clean. 
And then I thought the better of that and um, tottered off to lunch with all of our 20-something hipster friends, which is what we all were in the 1990s. <laughs> and that fall, I left to do a show in Florida. And guys, I wasn't far from God. I was walking with him. And in fact, the day that I left was the very first time that I stood point on the worship team. And it was the very first time that Roy ran the little rinky-dink cassette player that we called our sound system back then. And um, we, we, we thought we were in this great place. But I was carrying the secret sin inside of me. And I was still hungry to feel and experience everything I needed to, to be an artist. So you guys probably can figure out how the story goes. Um, it happened again. I broke promises. And when I came home, I justified them to myself. And I secretly asked God for forgiveness. And I went on my way. Or... At least I tried to. See, I don't know really what I was thinking, but I'm guessing that the Holy Spirit was in it somewhere because one night after praise team rehearsal, I just randomly blurted out my secret to our worship director. And I assured her that this was all in the past and it was all good. And you know what? She benched me. Anyway. Couldn't believe it. And then she says to me that I have to go to Keith and confess to Keith. And I thought, what kind of crazy fundamentalist church have I gotten myself mixed up with? And I really considered bolting. But God would not let me go. And I really couldn't face not singing. So, I made this appointment with Keith, who I did not know, and um, sort of steeled myself to get kicked out of the church, which didn't happen. Keith met me with love and grace, and he assured me that God forgave me. And then he told me that I was going to have to ultimately confess to Roy. Well, I thought that was even crazier. It, it, he wouldn't let me off the hook. And, and I didn't want to lose the fellowship of this place. And so we put our heads together and I prepared myself to make this confession that would probably end my marriage. And guys, if I'm real, I think we all thought it was going to end it. But see, here's the thing. When all the secrets come out on the table and we were able to look at them and we were able to look at one another, we were also able to look at the cross in a way that we had never considered before. Amen? And we're here today. We've been married 22 years. Thank you. You guys need to know that it was hard. You need to know that we went through years of counseling and reconciliation and restoration, and I did not pop back up on this platform the next day and get to sing. It took a long time for us to find our way through that dark place. 
But I believe that God had a plan for us and that he needed us to break those chains of the past once and for all before we could step into the roles he had for us in the story. And we could have said no, maybe even still been forgiven, but we would have stayed in the dark. And when I look at my life today and how God has chosen to use us, I'm so glad that we didn't do that. And so that's my story. Here's what I don't want you to hear. Hear me when I say this. Do not go home and drop 10 bombshells this afternoon. <laughs> yes, this confession came with discernment. The, concern, the discernment came from godly men and women around me who um, held me accountable and then they circled their wagons and were ready to catch us no matter what happened. Guys, we cannot carry our sin in a vacuum. We need one another. Maybe it's a trusted friend or a mentor. Maybe it's an accountability group that you meet with once a week or once a month. These are people who know you and will hold to on to you and refuse to let you go no matter what. I want you to ask yourself, do you have somebody like that in your life? And if you don't, may I suggest you take a look around you. And if that's too scary, may I suggest you take a look at the list of pastors and directors that are on the side of your bulletin, or you come up front and you talk to our prayer warriors. We need this in our lives. More than anything, we need to be able to look into the eyes of one another as the hands and feet of Jesus and say, you're forgiven. Jesus told the apostles in John 20, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. See, I think this verse is about the nature of sin. When we confess our sin and all its ugliness to another person, we're going to destroy its power over us. We force it into the light, and we allow that light to reach it and us and our relationships from its hold. You guys, I do. I think of it as like this like evil little fungus demon, right? And it gets in the light, and the sun hits it, and it just shrivels up, and it dies, and it can't hurt you again. If you hold it inside... It's going to come back. Personal confession. We can move on now, right? That's good. <laughs> Thank you. See, there's also a piece of this picture that is liturgical. And y'all know that I got to talk about that because that's what I do. I do liturgy. Now, I want you to bear with us while we talk about liturgy because liturgy does not mean all these rote, responsive readings and doing things by ritual. All liturgy means, y'all, is the work of the people. So whether it's a full-on mass or two fast songs, a medium song, power ballad, sermon, go home. Yeah? 
Both of those are liturgies. So when I say liturgy, I don't want you to get nervous. Yes? Many of us grew up in churches that did follow a more formal order of liturgy. And part of that liturgy um, may have included a corporate confession of faith. And we've done that a few times here, or corporate confession, rather, um, as a part of the worship time. And we have done that here. We do it on Ash Wednesday. Sometimes we do it at Lent. But honestly, in our liturgy here at Trinity, more often we kind of try to slide that, that confession part into the songs that we sing or into the prayers that the worship leader or that... Um, that the pastor will pray with us and over us. I caught that in some of the songs this morning I didn't catch before. Good job, Lisa. <laughs> um, that, and that, that's good too, but um, honestly, I'm not convinced that it's always the best way to go about it. There's this worship leader turned pastor. If you guys want to learn more about worship, I'm showing you my bibliography today, okay? Um, this guy's name is Glenn Packiam. Glenn was part of the worship team at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and he's now a pastor at another church there in Colorado. And he wrote this book. It's called Discover the Mystery of Faith, How Worship Shapes Believing. Ooh. Um, it's about recapturing the ancient liturgy in the context of a contemporary tradition. And he talks about confession, and, and he just says it better than me, so I'm just going to read you what he says. He says, some Christians... Now, he's talking about the corporate confession, part of the worship. Some Christians want to do away with confession. They want everyone to know that God has already forgiven for, given them for everything, so there's no need to ask forgiveness. In one sense, this is true. God freely offered us forgiveness in Christ. We do not confess because God is withholding forgiveness. We confess. Because we have been holding on to our own self-determination and self-reliance. Like a person with a tightly closed fist, unable to receive a gift, we too easily cling to our own efforts instead of welcoming God's grace into our lives. Confession is a way to let go. It brings us to the place where we finally admit that our hands are empty. It is in this place that Christ becomes our portion. Confession is the tension in the story that we've been missing. Now, if you grew up Catholic or Orthodox, you grew up in one of those traditions where there was a sense of legalism attached to confession and that put you in a place of needing to go to an appointed priest in order to be forgiven, I can understand where this could make you uncomfortable. Um, it's actually out of that discomfort that the Protestant church set aside the sacrament of confession and incorporated um, more general confession into the corporate liturgy. It's out of the same uncomfortable feeling that many more branches of the church set it aside as a formal part of their worship altogether. You guys consider this. If our liturgy, if what we do in worship informs our theology. If what we say and do informs what we believe, as well as vice versa, what theology have we unwittingly reinforced by shying away from corporate confession? 
See, there's such an important piece of it that comes from where we come from. It comes from this Western American freedom and liberty for all uh, a filter that we kind of see everything through. But when we do that, we kind of lose the point. A little church history, okay? I love me some church history. See, the culture that birthed the church was pre-enlightenment. It was not American. Aside from a Judeo-Christian viewpoint completely, it was a culture that understood itself in the concept of a larger narrative. It was a culture that understood itself as a part of something bigger than themselves. And this informed their understanding of Christianity and, by the way, their understanding of the scriptures that we have today. They wrote them in those first 300 years. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 to 27, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now, of course, Paul wrote that in, you know, the first century. But it was this culture, this Greco-Roman culture, that carved our canon and that carved the foundations of our, of our tradition, of our culture, of what we believe. See, in the first few hundred years, it was a really literal claim. The Christian church, the Christian church was persecuted. And so th the complete transparency of each Christian was a given. And confession was gone about in a very public, church-wide way. Penance was gone about in a very public, church-wide way. But then Constantine converted Rome to Christianity. And then Rome fell. And then far from being this persecuted little cult in the corner, Christianity finds itself shaping world culture and governing the Western world. And so confession kind of found its way out of the public forefront and into the private. And it became a, a sacrament that was to be confessed privately one-on-one -on -one with a priest who performed his priestly role of absolution, justified by Christ's words to the apostles in John 20 that I read to you before. If you forgive anyone his sins, then they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, then they are not forgiven. I know it's easy to hear that. And it's easy to see the slippery slope from receiving forgiveness from the priest and not from God. And so did the reformers. So they eliminated the sacrament of confession that the Catholic Church still observes. And we know from Matthew 27 that when Jesus died, the heavy temple that separated the common man from God, or the, the heavy veil in the temple that separated common man from God, it ripped in two. And we know from 1 Timothy 2.5 that there is one God and but one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. And so we know that we can go straight to God with our cares and confessions without the assistance of anyone but Jesus. But guys, I'm not telling you this so that we can diss our Catholic brothers and sisters on this subject because I think in many ways they have an understanding of the big picture narrative that um, the evangelical culture misses out on. 
I think we have a great deal to learn from the traditions and the practices of our history and of our heritage, and that there is healing that comes with the practice of regularly confessing our sins to one another. Y'all, that's the kind of accountability we talked about earlier. It's vital to your spiritual formation, essential for experiencing the fullness of grace. Which is why I think that confession ought to play a major role in our weekly liturgy. See, unfortunately, in eliminating the need for sacramental confession, I think too often we've thrown out the baby with the bathwater and eliminated the perceived need for confession altogether. Make no mistake, we do not confess our sin because we hope to find forgiveness. We confess our sin because we know that we are forgiven. And what does Peter tell us? He says, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be what? A holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So with this type of corporate confession of sin, there comes absolution out loud. Not because we have the authority to confer grace, because we don't, but because as bearers of the gospel, we remember and confess God's story in worship. Jesus says, you are forgiven. See, I don't know, you guys, do we include that in our song sets enough? I don't think that I do. And I don't think that I do because I think that we already know. But if that's the case, are we really telling the whole story of God? Which brings us back to where we started. Worship confesses the story of God. So we're going to continue to tell the story here today. We're going to look a little bit different. I'm going to invite my friend Lisa to come up and help us with this. I'm going to invite the band to hit their place. I told the band if the worship leader is going to preach, the worship leader can only go without them for so long. <laughs> In a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's Supper. And we do that as a confession and a declaration of what he did for us on the cross and what he continues to do in and through us today. But before we do that, we need to see the story clearly. Because without sin, there would be no need for a savior. There would be no need for Christ's body broken. There would be no need for a cross. So I wanna invite you guys to enter into a time of silent confession right where you are. And I want you to ask God to make you aware of the pieces of your life and your relationships that you've tried to live independent of God. And I want you to ask him to show you your sin. 
And I want you to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing in you and surrender anything he points out to you. Let's do that together. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us amend what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.
want to ask you to do something that's a little different. But see, as priests in Christ, we have the authority to show his love. So I want to ask you to turn to one another now and look somebody in the eye and say to them, as priests in Christ, God forgives you in Jesus' name. Let's do that. God forgives you in Jesus' name.